0: Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 12th of September 2023, and this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports and themes for the day the Nifty hits 20,000. Investors turn cautious. Kotak pulls the plug on the mid cap story. A new sovereign gold bond scheme launches amidst a positive outlook for gold. How chronic prescription medicines are shifting online, and why Augmentin continues to rule the day. Consumer products come under pressure as distributors struggle with inventory levels.
1: This is a core report with Govindraj Etiraj.
0: It's too much of a good thing. First, a glance at what's happened at the stock markets yesterday. The nifty 50 kissed the much anticipated 20,000 mark or more specifically, it hit an all-time high of 20,008, surpassing the previous high of 19,991 and closed 176 points at 1996, or that's 19,996. Some 49 of all the 50 stocks in the Nifty 50 have actually participated in this latest rally. The Sensex, on the other hand, crossed over the 67,000 mark and ended at 67,127, up 528 points. So that's what happened yesterday. Now, Much funds have been flowing into Indian markets and into equities, both from within and outside the country, but then too much of a good thing, of course, can be bad too. A new report from Barclays, the investment bank, says that with positive net flows of money into the Indian equity market for the fifth straight month in July, complacency is a distinct risk. Despite the strong performance of the local market in recent months, we are cautiously optimistic on the market for long-term investors, the report says. It also says that as the developed world skirts a recession, the picture is different in India. Services and industrial production sectors have helped expand economic output. However, surging food prices have hit consumption levels and worsened sentiment. A little more on that sentiment a little later. So growth could slow. Now, earnings in the April to June quarter illustrated the underlying health of the economy, says Barclays, and profits for the 50 largest companies shot up by over 35% compared to the same quarter last year. So far, so good. The financial, auto infrastructure, cement and energy sectors appear to be performing well too. On the other hand, back home, stock brokerage Kotak Securities said quite dramatically that it was pulling the plug completely on mid-caps, a segment and space we've discussed with some frustration in some detail here on the core report and of course with a growing amazement and incredulity. Now, in language, which is quite stark and a little unusual for a brokerage report, Kotak Security says, We see limited point in trying to find fundamental reasons behind the steep increase in stock prices of several mid-cap and small-cap stocks. There is no meaningful change in the fundamentals of most companies. In fact, they've worsened in many cases. The primary driver of the rally appears to be irrational exuberance amongst investors with high return expectations and purchase decisions being driven by the high returns of the past few months. And I'm going to read through a lot more of this report because I think it's interesting, almost like a mini masterclass of what can go wrong. By the way, says the Kotak report now, the nifty mid-cap index is up 32% and the nifty small-cap index is up 35% in the past six months. It also points out that the mid-cap and small-cap funds of domestic equity mutual funds have seen inflows of over 21,000 crore rupees, while large-cap and flex-cap funds have seen outflows of 6,000 crore rupees. So, investors are smart and responsive, if nothing else. Moreover, some 6.4 million new folios opened in mid- and small-cap equity mutual funds in the last 12 months, a 34% increase. So small and mid-cap funds have been attracting a whole bunch of fresh investors into stock markets, almost like bees to honey. More specifically, Kotak says that the new favourite mid- and small-cap stocks of institutional and retail investors are in the broader investment sector, which is capital, goods, defense, electronic manufacturing, railways, real estate, and renewables. Now, all these stock prices have obviously shot to the roof. On a more candid note, Kotak Securities says it expects a decent investment cycle, but it says we are not sure about the quality of many of these stocks, given their historical weak execution and governance track records. In addition, many of these sectors, I guess it means railways as an example, fall in the B2G or business-to-government or B2B or business-to-business categories, which raises issues around execution and profitability. We believe that market expectations for both revenues and profitability may be too optimistic across these sectors, says Kodak Securities. And then it says that we are dropping our recommended mid-cap portfolio since we cannot find too many stocks beyond the banking and financial services space that offer decent potential upside to our 12-month fair value. It also says that we would have had to remove these stocks from the portfolio anyway, as it would be incorrect to recommend stocks with low conviction and potential downside to our fair values, which would have left a portfolio comprising mostly BFSI or banking and financial stocks. Many of the stocks, by the way, have jumped in the past few months, some within weeks of inclusion in the portfolio. So Kotak Security says it changed the portfolio frequently in the past few months to keep up with rampant stock prices, but have largely run out of options. And finally, in what sounds like a cross between a lament and a confession, if everything so far was not one already, Kotak Security says it's obvious that we've not developed some special stock picking skills recently. And in our view, the steep increase in stock prices simply reflects the irrational exuberance of investors in the mid- and small-cap parts of the market. And maybe there is gold to be struck. As we speak of stocks and the irrationality of it all, maybe it's time to look at another asset class. As you know, we speak a lot on stocks and real estate but I've not really touched gold. And about time we did that since we have some news to report too. The Reserve Bank of India has established the issue price of a sovereign gold bond for the September 2023 series, or it's the second series, at Rs 5,923 per gram. Now, this upcoming installment of the program is going to be available for subscription starting September 11th, that was yesterday, to September 15th. Now, how has the price been arrived at? Well, it's the nominal value of the bond based on the simple average of the closing price published by the India Billion and Jewelers Association for gold of 999 purity of the last three working days of the week preceding the subscription period. That's September 6, 7 and 8, which works out to the number that I just mentioned. That's 5,923 per gram of gold. And there is a little more to it. So I reached out to Anuj Gupta, head of commodities and currencies at HDFC Securities, and began by asking him to tell us about sovereign gold bonds in general and the current one in specific.
1: Gold bond basically launched by the Reserve Bank of India in year 2050 at the rate of almost 2680. So after that, we saw a huge jump. So gold bond basically an investment part where people will invest gold in the paper form and this is issued by the government of india rbi so sovereign gold bond basically is a part of investment in the gold so generally in india we have seen a tradition to invest in gold in the physical form but now this is the paper form of investment in the gold and is edge against inflation as india is the biggest consumer of the gold so this is the one of the way to invest in the gold which is you know controlled by rbi or government of india
0: right so that's the general description what do you think about this particular launch anuj See, this launch is starting from today
1: till 15 September, RBI launched this product at 5923 per gram, but for the retail customer, RBI giving a 50 rupee discount. So it would be at 5873. So as far as concern about the price, we are expecting that as uncertainty is there in economy, you know, many countries are still facing a inflation. So gold is has an in inflation, so I'm sure ki it will give a good return in the long term as. Sovereign gold bond is an investment product for say 5 to 7 year locking in period. So those investors who want to invest in gold for 5 to 7 years, so definitely they will go for that. And if you see the complete chain of SGV sovereign gold bond, whenever people are investing in this product, they are getting a good amount. And the one important thing is that it is backed by the government of India and a 2.50% is guaranteed return in this product. So currently, if somebody invested in this product, they will get 2.50% kind of guaranteed return by the government of
0: India. And you'll get it twice a year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right. So let me ask slightly more broader question. So what's gold looking like overall? I know it's doing well in the last year, but how is it looking ahead? And should one think about that when you were to invest in a sovereign gold bond, the series two, which we are talking about right now, or in general, if you were investing in gold? The sovereign gold bond, this is backed by the government of
1: India and this is 100% correlated with the physical gold. And if you see from last couple of years we saw a huge return, last year we saw it increase by 14% and this year it is currently till date it increased by 7%. If you see from last couple of years is continuously increasing. So the potential in gold is huge because there is uncertainty in economy, inflation is there and recently we saw that federal bank. Increase interest right now, they are saying they will not increase interest rate in the coming year. So again, they are fighting with the inflation. So the current fundamental factor are still being positive for the long-term perspective. As far as concern about the demand side, if you compare the demand from last year to this year, as China is again the biggest player, but in China, the demand of bar and coins increased by 49.3 tons up to 32%. And the global bar and coin demand increased by 6%. So demand is there people are accumulating gold in physical form slowly and slowly. However, on a higher price, we saw some profit booking as well as people starting profit booking. But for the long term perspective, definitely people are looking towards this product for the investment. So if somebody wants to invest in gold in a physical form, so this would be a better choice because it is 100% correlated by in tandem with the physical price. So my view if somebody wants to invest in gold for current year till year 2030. Because as per the WGC, they are expecting a huge demand from the central banks, huge demand from the retail investor and huge demand again for the physical side. So demand is a very good. So I am expecting if somebody invested at current price, they will get a better return after five to seven years.
0: Right. And I think that sort of answers the question that I may ask about the influence of the dollar and so many other asset classes. But you're saying across asset classes, this is a good bet for the next five to seven years.
1: Definitely, however, we are seeing a momentum also in the dollar index, which is trading around 105 and which is influenced by the FOMC interest rate decision. But yes, definitely, if you see the economic side of the US, still they are running with some slowdown. So that will again impact on the dollar index and possibly the demand of gold, hedge against inflation or demand for hedge against uncertainty and again the investment demand. So that will also play a very important role for the gold price. And I'm expecting that in the long run, gold will price give
0: a good return. Right. Anuj, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Chronic disease medicines are increasingly shifting online. New trends are emerging in the pharmaceutical industry, which is worth around $50 billion in India. If I were to sum them up, because they're a little different, Online pharmacies are gaining popularity for chronic segments where people are ordering the same medicines again. Augmentin is the number one drug in the country. We knew this, but the reason now is actually a little different and a little interesting, maybe not so much in a good way, and you might want to hear. The other top drugs are Pan, Wallini and Manforce, which have grown strongly, and I'm sure at least one, if not two of these brands are something that you might be using because they are to do with either gastrointestinal problems or pain. And finally, there is some action in the cardiac therapy space and more on that coming up. I reached out to Sheetal Sapale, Vice President Commercial at Pharma Industry Intelligence firm Pharma Rack, and I began by asking her to take us through the latest set of trends that she was seeing.
2: Yeah, if you look at online pharmacies, COVID times have been a game changer for the online purchase of products or online pharmacies which have proliferated in the market. And it's mainly the chronic therapies or products which you need to take a lifetime on lifetime basis. These are the ones which have actually gained a lot of purchase from the online pharmacy section. For I'll give you a simple example. If I am on atenolol or if I'm consuming a brand aten, at I need to take it for a lifetime. I have to take one tablet every day without going even to the doctor. The doctor has told me, don't come to me again. So, in that case, our online purchase becomes simpler because it's just that, you know, I need to buy my 30 days quota every month. So, these type of products are getting consumed more often through online pharmacies. So, it's chronic elements which have shifted to online pharmacy purchase. Whereas, if you look at some other products where uh, the consumption may not be lifetime, some acute therapies like cough and cold. I may not go to an online pharmacy, I may just get a show my condition to a doctor, get a prescription, go to the chemist nearby and have a 7-day quota and the job is done. So acute therapies not shifted to that extent to online, but chronic therapies, even in chronic therapies where the condition is not very complicated, it's just a way of life. With age, you do have to take antihypertensives, then in that case, it has gone to online pharmacies.
0: And very broadly, Sheetal, what is the split between in the overall, I'm not talking about online now, in the overall market between chronic and non-chronic?
2: So the market today is divided into three sections, acute segment, chronic segment and sub-chronic segment. Acute segment would be, which is almost 50% of the market, would be something which I take for a week's time or so, which would be typically my cough and cold preparations which I use for conjunctivitis. Chronic would be something which I need to take for a lifetime. It may be anti-asthema products, hypertension products. And there is one more segment which is called as the subchronic. Now, subchronic which is almost 20% of the market today is the duration of consumption is anywhere between 1 month to 12 months. Typically, if I am having some painful condition, I have got backache problem. Wherein, you know, I need to continue on the medication for minimum 6 to 8 months. Then that falls in the subchronic section. So if I were to talk about the breakup acute is around 50% of the market chronic around 30% of the market and subchronic is around 20% of the market. So typically if I were to you know take this ahead chronic and subchronic conditions would be the ones which would see a relatively better purchase from the online pharmacies rather than the acute segments.
0: Right and you're also seeing some other trends within cardiac therapy in terms of the kinds of medicines that are being consumed right now.
2: Yeah, so in case of cardiac therapy, typically antihypertensives is the biggest chunk. More than 50% of the cardiac therapy is antihypertensives. Then we have products which are more of blood thinning agents, lipid lowering agents, or you know, we have heparins or, you know, little high-end cardiac products. But these products, if I were to see in terms of consumption, the consumption is much more than what it was in the pre-COVID times. Indicating that the disease pattern or everything is in line with the disease incidence and prevalence. Consumption has increased in line with the population growth and the disease pattern. What I had seen typically in case of antihypertensives, I did not see this type of growth in unit consumption. Wherein we realized that antihypertensives, which is to a great extent way of life, consumption is happening more through the online pharmacies whereas other places where you really need to go to the doctor or there has to be a preference or prescription given by a doctor to consume these products for a limited period of time i will not buy it online even these products are high value products very expensive
0: right so in your latest study you've shown that brands like pan which i'm assuming is pantoprazole or the equivalent wallini and rhizodeg are growing or have grown double digits in august so is there any link between all of them warrani of course is the pain medicine and pan is to do with gastroenteritis i'm assuming
2: yeah so it's more of a disease pattern because gastro conditions and cold conditions asthma conditions these are the conditions which actually pick up in the monsoon season and in the winter season so now is the season for these type of conditions and pain management actually becomes a co-prescription because typically you have a gastro condition, there is a lot of pain, you end up taking a pain medication along with it. Or you are having some problem in cough and cold where there is body ache or viral infections lead to a lot of body ache. So pain perhaps come along with as a co-prescription along with these core therapies.
0: Right. And augmentin continues to be number one, I can see. So, I mean, that's the one drug that India seems to consume or is continuing to consume the most.
2: Yes, Augmentin, because of price control, the price of this product has come down significantly and it's known and tested product in the medical fraternity. It is from GSK, so quality is guaranteed. If I'm getting the same quality product at a slightly lower price, I may not go to other generics or branded generics because the molecule or the amoxicillin plus clavulanic acid combination itself is a very powerful combination. This has actually played well for augmentin. that's number one. Number two is there were a lot of therapies or operations that were put on hold in the COVID times. Of course, now it's almost more than a year that the COVID era is over. But then all the pent-up surgeries are now catching up. And that's the reason why Augmentin continues to grow. Because it is the most wanted or the most preferred brand in the market as far as operations or post-surgery follow-ups are considered.
0: Right. Sheetal, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you so much.
0: consumer products are not moving as smoothly as they did before. Now, the data does not quite show this, but from the distributor standpoint or endpoint, if you want to call it that, this is the first time in a while that volume takes are down, both in urban and rural markets. Let me collect some slightly different sources for that data that we have. A report from retail intelligence platform Bizom, quoted by Business Standard, for example, says Kirana stores are now being careful on how they stock up. On a month-on-month basis, sales from shampoos to detergents were down 8.4% in August, while they were down 11% year-on-year. Urban sales in all were up about 2%, though rural took a hit, down almost 17% year-on-year. On the other hand, the NIQ or the Nelson IQ said in its FMCG snapshot, again according to reports for the June quarter, that April to June 23 was the best in a year and a half with positive strides across all growth sectors. But the impact of rains or the lack of them has kicked in after june so it's that quarter which is the next quarter or the current quarter which one should be watching out for now significantly the contraction in purchases is apparently because people are saving more now this is also increasing inventory levels for distributors across the country so i will dive into the savings part in a few days from a macro perspective but for now, I reached out to Daireshil Patil, President of the All India Consumer Products Distributors Federation, based out of Kolapur in Maharashtra. And I began by asking him how he was seeing the impact of inflation and surging food prices on demand.
3: The impact of recession is now being seen because post-COVID, there was never a downturn into an FNCG segment. But last two quarters, we have been able to Clearly visualize or clearly see the effect of the recession on FMCG segment, wherein we have been finding the volume of tech from the retail trade has drastically gone down in both the segments in rural as well as urban. Because previously it was just rural pulling down the entire demand sector, but right now both the segments rural and urban. pulling down the demand because basic issue stays there. People are on the trend of savings mode. So bare minimum necessity is being met right now.
0: Got it. And where do you feel is this being displayed or manifested the most? I mean, which product categories or SKUs that you feel this is most evident?
3: See, the most evident is obviously the beauty categories. Then comes the detergents and the food because most impacted is food as food has been growing for last decade by, say, more double-digit numbers. But still, beauty category is the worst
0: hit. Okay, and is this across-the-country phenomenon, Derishil, or is it more in some regions where it's more pronounced than the other? It is across the country. See, behavior of
3: FMCG consumer is generally the same across the country because the eating habits or the consumption habits of the consumer Come what may, he's is from north, south, east or west. See, the brands might be different. But if people eat uh, biscuits with the tea, it's common everywhere that people eat biscuits with the tea. If staple food is eight, the brands would be different. But the phenomena is common.
0: Right. What about areas like personal care? Are you seeing any trends there?
3: Yeah, personal care is having a steady growth, I guess. Because, see, all of them are going less on volumetric business. Though every company and every distributor is doing their value-based targets, but they are facing issues in the volume-based targets. There are two reasons for this. One is the genuine slowdown on the demand. And second, the grammages in each and every packages are going down. That is the trend we have seen in last two, three years, where the grammages for each and every packages have been drastically ground down by 10 to 15 to 20 percent and that is what pulling down the volumetric
0: growth so grammages are reducing and i'm assuming prices are the same if not higher
3: prices are either same or higher prices have never come down so the consumer has been hit on both angles one he's paying a higher price and getting the lesser volume Every packaging in every, say about a continuous cycle, if he bought something on first of this month and he goes and buys his grocery for the second month, the same gramages hardly been found in the packaging. So that's it, that is the change of packaging which is reducing the grammages into the product has been seen and which I believe is pulling down the volumetric report.
0: And again, there is any examples that come to mind when you talk about products that have reduced grammages in the recent past. So There is
3: no product which is not reduced grammages.
0: Okay, because I
3: do not want to name a single product. But see, there is a general standardization of packaging. There would be a trial pack, then there is a small pack, then there is a medium pack, and then there is a large pack. Okay, no, generally and FMCD, a trial pack is generally a sachet. Say about 10 grams or 15 grams or 20 grams. At present, that has gone to say more less than 10 grams. So it has reduced more than 30%, 40%. Then the entry level, that is the small pack, was about from 25 to 50 grams. That has again come down to 40 grams or 30 grams or 35 grams. Then the medium pack was about 100 grams to 125 grams. Next level. If you could recollect your memory, that 125 grams is now come down to 120, 110 grams. So each and every company is having multiple of SKUs on a same category of segment. So they will have 4-5 SKUs in small packets. They will have 4-5 SKUs in a medium level packaging. They will have 4-5 SKUs. For example, in a higher price, they will have a 750 grams, 800 grams, 1 kg. Then there will be 1.5 kg. This is happening because there is no standard law in our country which can restrict people from getting n number of SKUs and in turn consumers are being confused in that.
0: So, the first quarter of most consumer product companies, I looked at Levers or Nestle, so they've all been strong. I mean, sequentially, they seem to have slowed down slightly, but otherwise, overall, I mean, profit growth is strong. That is
3: what exactly I was telling you. See, no company in FMCG, has been on a negative path even in Corora, because there are two reasons one they were having a massive price hike drive and second three of uh, reducing grammages so both ways they are going to meet up their value wise business and also the profitability because profitability comes from both ways for them one the mrp of the product is hiked up two the grammage into that packaging also is taken down. They have hiked up a 10% MRP and lower 10% volume into the product. It gains them 20% of profitability. So, this is a basic reason the companies are showing their results in this way. I believe no company will be having a volumetric growth and a profitability at the same time.
0: Right. And let me come back again to the first question in a way that I asked. So, next few months, Rishil, how are things looking? And you said that savings is increasing, categories like uh, beauty are hit, food less so. Are you seeing the overall impact on distributors, retailers? How are you seeing that? I mean, do you feel business could be tight or it could be like before, but maybe with some changes?
3: Quarter 3 has always been putting up good numbers for FMCG. But unfortunately, this year, we are not having a good monsoon across the country. At the same time, we are on the high of our restriction mate. So, I am very positive that we could have a good quarter, but we will have to hope for a good festive season. As of now, for the western region, Ganpati and Shravan has already started showing up its, uh, this thing, but no excitement on the sales side of it. So, we are very optimistic to have a good quarter. We hope to have a good quarter.
0: Right. Thank you so much for joining me
3: Yeah, thank you very much Thank you.
0: So what's next with the G20 summit? Well, the G20 summit now goes to Brazil You do know, I hope, that the G20 presidency rotates between member countries The previous one was Indonesia and the next one is Brazil Brazil's president, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, took the baton, so to speak figuratively, that is. And before leaving, he spoke of the Global Biofuels Alliance and said that this is the happiest decision for Brazil as they have been fighting for it. A total of 19 countries and 12 international organizations have so far agreed to join the alliance, including both G20 members and non-member countries. India, Brazil and the United States are founding members of this alliance. We continue to improve ethanol production in Brazil. Everyone knows what role Brazil plays in ethanol as an alternative to oil, Lula said. He also added that Brazil has the tech control on biofuels and this initiative is important for everyone's future. India wants to achieve 20% ethanol blending in petrol by 25-26, which is literally in two years' time. There is some skepticism on this as I've heard from industry sources, but the movement is definitely catching on. The government's ethanol blending program, or E20 petrol, that's petrol blended with 20% ethanol, is reportedly selling at more than 1,900 petrol pumps across the country. And the effort, like I said, is on. And sugar factories, including one I visited a few weeks ago in Western Uttar Pradesh, are filling tankers with ethanol manufactured from sugarcane and trucking them to refineries in the region. Now, I don't know if you've been near an ethanol refinery, but it really stinks. On that note, that's it from me for today. Do visit us at www.thecore.in and sign up for our newsletters and detailed reports and columns. Have a great day. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is, www.thecore.in or follow us on linkedin twitter and facebook as well now we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on india's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback at the thank you for listening